0: You're listening to Messages from the Middle. This is Wendy Parrish. This is episode number 18, From Darkness to Light, A Journey of Resilience and Redemption. My interview with Brad Jensen. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of being interviewed by Brad Jensen for the Key Nutrition Podcast. I have listened to the Key Nutrition Podcast for years, and it is just a surreal feeling to have been on a podcast that I followed for so long. For this week's episode, I'm going to play that interview. Let's go. Have you noticed that people don't usually share their struggles until they're over? It's not until they've defeated their dragon and marched victoriously home that they share their story. Well, I'm not one of those people. My name is Wendy Parrish, and I am in the middle of my story. From the middle, I've learned a few things, and I would like to bring you into my story. This is the good, the struggle, the light, the dark, and the lessons learned. This is Messages from the Middle. Before I start this interview, I just want to talk really quickly about the Key Nutrition Podcast. It is such a great podcast and Brad is an incredible human being. I started listening to the Key Nutrition podcast because I have a huge love of health and fitness. So I went there for that kind of information, but it's so much more. Brad talks about all things physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual, and covers all those things in all kinds of different ways with interviews, him sharing his own story and his own experiences, and it really is incredible. So, I just wanted to give you a little bit. If you've never listened to the Key Nutrition Podcast before, just a little bit of information on that before you listen to my interview on the Key Nutrition Podcast. Here it is.
1: This is Brad Jensen, and you listen to the Key Nutrition Podcast. All right. Welcome to the show. Today I'm joined in studio by my good friend Wendy Parrish. And she uh just went through the next level experience um and is a great human, I think. I, right?
0: I try. Okay. I want to be.
1: And um just started a podcast recently called Messages from the Middle, which is a great podcast, and she is a great storyteller. And you have quite the story. And as you guys know, we kind of focus on all aspects of health. And this is uh definitely more geared towards the mental health aspect side, which as we know is incredibly important, not only just to achieve your fitness goals, but more importantly, just to be happy in life. And so welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to be here.
1: Um, at least this isn't like your first podcast because now you do your own, right?
0: Yeah. I it's, this is a very different experience. I do it, um, in my closet (laughs)
1: <laughs> <Do> you really? <laughs> I do. It actually sounds really good. You must have a good mic.
0: I have a pretty good mic and I do it. Well, I would, this is-
1: uh, It's actually not a bad idea. The more enclosed space. Yeah. This studio is actually not very advantageous. Uh, you guys aren't here, but I actually have three big windows. I'm supposed to shut those curtains when we film, but it feels like a dungeon. So I just don't do it.
0: Yeah. And, and my closet kind of does. I'm an, I'm an, well, I was an infant photographer. So I had this closet filled with blankets and wraps and all this- And so when I go in there, I'm very insulated, but it's also like tight. And I've got like my microphone balanced on a shelf, but someday I'll be fancy.
1: Well, it actually sounds really good for that. Go figure.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Which just goes
1: to show, I think that so many people get scared to start things because they make up all these reasons of why not. Um, Same thing with people like, you know, wanting to lose some weight. They're like, but you know, then I've got this trip in seven weeks and then, and then we're going to be gone for that weekend. And so it's like. But it's the same thing. It's like, I tell people like, what do I need to do to start a podcast? I'm like, just start. And yeah, like maybe get like a decent mic or, you know, but you literally just hit record and go.
0: Yeah. And I did, I bought the mic like a year before. I'd had that mic for a year and I'd wanted to do a podcast, but I just kept not and stopping myself and like, you know, telling myself things like, I don't have anything to say anybody wants to hear or everybody else has it. That's my favorite one is everybody else is doing it or someone else is in this, you know, space. and then. Yeah. It was actually chance was like, what do you really want to do? And I'm like a podcast. He's like, then do it. So I did it like that day I recorded it and sent him my first episode and he's like, that's it. I'm like, Oh, okay.
2: <laughs> so I just did
0: it. And I did, I jumped in like I was listening to all these different podcast advice and it's like, make sure you promote it and tell people. And I literally just dumped it one day and was like, it's out. <laughs> Cause I knew if I like built up, I'd build myself and then I'd scare myself I'm like just there it is. listen, don't, it's there.
1: Well, now it's definitely out. So yeah,
0: it's out there and it's, and it, and you know, I pretty much go right into my story in that first episode, which yeah, is listen
1: to some of it
0: pretty, you know, vulnerable things I hadn't told, not things, but you know, well, one big thing, which was what that I spent last summer in treatment in a residential treatment center for my mental health. And you know, everybody in the next level knew it. My family obviously knew. And other than that, no one knew. And it's this, like, I think it's kind of like everything else. Like It doesn't need to be a secret, but yet for some reason we think it does, you know, nobody talks about it. Nobody says anything. It doesn't, you know, I even remember I did IVF or I did three rounds of IVF and keeping that a secret. Why? (laughs) Like, why did I keep that a secret? My hormones were crazy. I was crying all the time. Yeah. You
1: went through. So wait, were all your children conceived through IVF?
0: No. So my first two were Clomid, which makes you Oh. Crazy on yeah, its own. I had
1: to go on that too, that was yeah. not fun.
0: <laughs> the hot flashes? Yeah,
1: I was like, I felt insane, but I've heard it's even worse for females.
0: Oh, the hot, like I was working an office job. Luckily I was the only one in the office and I'd get a hot flash and I'd go in the supply closet, and like rip my sweater off and be like, <sighs> yeah, it was awful. And then, so my two boys were Clomid. Um, and I actually, then when we were trying for a third baby, um, I remember going to the doctor and he, she was like, oh, you had two babies with Clomid, this is no sweat. Three years later, We're still like trying, you know, we did the Clomid, then we did Lupron, not Lupron, Letrazole. That's Mm -hmm. a medication, right? And then we did the, what's the super ov where you just, you know, hyperovulate and then you do IUI, but I overstimulated and they were like, you don't want eight babies. And I was like, no, I really don't. No. (laughs) Twins would be fine, but I don't. So we did do IVF, that was my third child. Um, But we had uh, six frozen embryos left over. And I remember at the time being like, okay, that's baby number four, like just new. And every time I'd have a baby, I'd have this like, there's another one. And my pregnancies are not easy. And and the third one, at 20 weeks, I went in for the anatomy scan, like what's the gender? And they're like, it's a girl, but you're dilated. They put me on bed rest. I had a uh, surclage surgery, like stayed in the hospital in Trendelenburg for like three weeks. It was it was hard <laughs> and, my wow. poor, and my poor little boys, we, oh, oh wait, I got to add another element to the story. We were moving from Montana to Pennsylvania at this time. So my husband and my boys actually moved while I stayed in the hospital. Um, then I made it there once I was cleared to fly, but then I had to spend the rest of the time on bed rest while my husband was working. And I have these two little boys and I'm on bed rest. And I'm like, my six-year-old, he was six at the time. He has been independent from six. Like he knows how to and you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Like right. <laughs> once you're yep. like, once they know how to like feed themselves, turn on the TV, find PBS kids, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I remember I was like, okay, now I'll take care of you. Like he yeah. taught my other kid how to ride his bike. Cause I'm like, apparently they don't think they need parents. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then, um, so yeah. So after she was born, um, we used the frozen embryos and that failed. And then, Again, you know, we had this like, but we, there's a fourth baby. So we came to Salt Lake, actually. We're living in Hershey, Pennsylvania. We came to Salt Lake. I spent a whole summer here doing IVF here and that failed. And so then we were like, okay, for some reason, we thought there was another baby. We've done everything that we possibly can, I guess, you know, and, and the fact that I'd done bed rest and had all those issues with the third one, we're like, maybe this is like our sign, like we're done. And then I got pregnant. <laughs> and so that's number four. So she was... We always say she's from infertility, but we're like, but not. It's very confusing.
1: (laughs) Wow. That is interesting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, and that, yeah, same thing. I spent that whole, that whole pregnancy, pretty much as soon as they found out I was pregnant, they're like, we're just going to prevent what happened last time you're on bed rest.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. You know, in Wally, when they're like floating around on like the things and they just drink smoothies, that's how you feel after seven to eight months of bed rest. Like I was like, I'm the people from WALL-E.
1: <laughs> I would be so depressed.
0: It was, yeah, it was hard. You know, I will say I learned, like I just spent that time. I'm like, I guess if I've got time. So like, that's when I learned all of my photography skills, started my photography business right after I had that baby. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things I, oh, I knit and crocheted so many things. <laughs> like I'm like, if I'm in bed, I guess I'm going to create things. And Netflix was kind of new at the time, so you couldn't just like, I mean, I could binge, but we didn't even have a TV in our room where the bed was. So I like read books and made things and anyway, so it was actually wow. a pretty decent time where I think if I'd had like a TV and Netflix, I would have just been like, let's the TV. watch it all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you kind of, uh, you gave a teaser there that, uh, I mean, because on the outside looking in, you know, um. You know you got the the good picture perfect family, mm-hmm. and I mean we all like you know that's that's always an illusion but um but you know it wasn't like you wouldn't th- when you said you ended up in a residential treatment center for mental health, mm-hmm. and how long did you stay there?
0: I was there for eight weeks okay. two months
1: and yeah. were you in there with people with substance abuse
0: almost everybody there was substance abuse wow. um which which I'm going to say it did surprise me because I remember looking up different facilities and I kept putting in mental health and the websites we would go to would separate mental health and substance abuse. And it wasn't even like I had anything against it. I just figured it was different treatment in my mind. It was like, you know, mental health is this and substance abuse is this. And I'm so glad that they didn't separate it because it's, it, it's the same.
1: Did they talk a lot about drugs?
0: Um, so most of the people that were in there, there was one woman that kind of would do some, some hard drugs, but most of it was all alcohol. Most of the people that were for alcohol, there wasn't anybody on anything much harder than, like my roommate, it was vodka. That was her, (laughs) that was her her choice.
1: But it all stems from mental health. Like the drugs and alcohol aren't the problem, they're the solution. And when I finally realized like, oh, I'm the problem or my mental health, Mm -hmm. my emotional health, my lack of any spiritual health is the problem whatever substance we're using was solution. Yours was just a double whammy because you didn't really have a solution except for to be depressed, huh?
0: Yeah, well, and and that was the one thing I realized when I was there because I found myself. And if you listen to my podcast, it's also, I'm going to call it one of the superpowers of having ADHD. I just remember things. So Mm -hmm. if I've seen a TV show, a movie, it's going to get quoted at some point. But I kept like referencing The Office and all these different TV shows. And they're like, you watch a lot of TV. And I'm like, you know, while you all had alcohol, I had The Office.
1: (laughs) I mean, The Office is amazing.
0: (laughs) I was like, that's how I buffered. That's how I turned off. That's how I like, I remember kind of one of the worst days, like a couple days before my husband and I decided that something needed to be done. I stayed in bed and just watched TV all day. And I was like, I, it was that, you know, people take, use drugs and alcohol to not feel. And that was exactly, I'm like, if I can sit and laugh at Michael Scott all day.
1: Well, at least you should laugh.
0: That's true. That's true. Actually, the one day I think I chose to watch This Is Us All Day. And I just was like a crying mess. Yeah, that's at the probably end. not the- That was, I know my therapist was like, I don't think that was your best like, choice. That's, probably not
1: the, that's, the, that's not the go-to right now. It's <laughs> like, funny when I walked into this office, which, um, I also have my computer desk in the corner in this studio. That's now morphed into an office slash studio. And I walked in and the walls behind all these padding are painted black. And so I felt like when Dwight painted his Michael's office, black to intimidate his his subordinates. (laughs) (laughs) And I made the reference and my, my media guy who was doing it was like, what? I was like, are you doing this to Tim? Never mind. He doesn't get the office next. It's and um, it's
0: it's kind of almost like, "Oh, you're not my people." Yeah, thank
1: you. That's <laughs> why I'm like I'm glad you love the office. If they
0: don't get your reference, like I it, this was in, in the treatment center and I remember I can't remember what we were talking about and I just said, "Well, I got a fever." And they all scooted away from me. I'm like, "No, cowbell. More cowbell." And they were like, "We have no idea what you're talking about." And I was like, Oh, oh, no, I'm no. in the wrong place. And then this kid came in, kind of, he was there for the last couple of weeks and he was wearing a t-shirt that had the dude on it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're going to get me. And he got all my references. I was like, cowbell? He's like, oh yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Apparently me and the 18 year olds are on yep. the same Hey, That's wavelength. good. At least
1: somebody was. <laughs> so take us back. Like what, um you know, what led to that point that it was so bad that clearly like being, you know, admitted into a a facility and outside of your regular life became like a feasible option.
0: Yeah. It, and it is kind of crazy. And that, I think that's the thing with depression and anxiety, especially for people that don't, you know, that don't go to like a substance or whatever is it, it feels like, like boiling a frog. Like, I do think a lot of my depression started with, infertility because that was, you know, it's so hard when it's like you want something so bad and it's a good thing to want. You want these, these babies, these, you know, little angel babies and then you can't get them. So there's that weird feeling of like, I'm out of control. I can't control the situation. Um, then, you know, hormones and postpartum and all of that stuff. So that was all kind of hard. And then it was weird because, you know, we had the four kids, my husband finished school. We moved into our house. Everything was like really perfect. And honestly, like, you know, when you talk about like seeing the picture and you don't know if it's, I'm like, no, honestly, for a good four years there, I don't think you could say that we were like really actually quite damaged into the surface, but it looked great. It felt, it was really good and fun. And then it's almost like, you know, when you like hold a beach ball under the water, it's like this kind of like postpartum and depression-y things that I'd kind of been like holding down under the water kind of just exploded. Yeah. And again, and there wasn't really like a trigger. It wasn't like something happened. It was just like low grade depression and anxiety were just kind of there. And- For how long? I would say it started in maybe like 2016, as I want to say, when I kind of started just feeling, and especially like what was crazy to me was the anxiety. Because I I'd felt depression before but anxiety was new. And that would be like, I drop my girls off at school. And then as I would be driving back home, I would feel like my house might, is my house burning down? Did I like, are the cops after me? Like what's good? Like there was that anxious feeling. And it's so hard to explain anxiety to people that haven't felt it before. My mom was one of them. She's like, tell me about anxiety. And I'm like, oh. I just
1: don't get them when people tell <laughs> me. And that's been my biggest struggle my whole life. and And no. fortunately I've been able to avoid outside of, clearly, you know, drug induced, my life was a mess, depression, but like actual real depression, but anxiety, I mean, still my whole, mm-hmm. but that, I mean, that's why I started using drugs. That's why, uh, that is, I mean, I have tools and tactics today, but I, it's always crazy me when I tell people like, I'm just, uh, just anxious days. So I'm one of those about what I'm like, that's the thing. Like, I don't really know. And then I make myself more anxious by trying to figure out what I'm anxious about. And then mm-hmm. it gets more. And like, sometimes there's something there, but they just look at me and I'm like, Oh, you don't, how, I feel like everyone should just feel anxiety.
0: I know. Well, and that's the thing. Like depression is, is hard. It's hard. You're sad. It's hard to get up and get going. It's, but you can kind of, I don't know, like, especially when you have little kids that depend on you, like you can get up, you can get going, you can feed them. Like there's just like these basic things, but like anxiety, when that started to hit, it was like, I literally can't do this. Like that's, That's the paralyzing. That's the, I mean, and and obviously everyone's mental health manifests in different ways. I could have somebody yelling right now, like, no, not at all, depression makes me not move. But that's how I was like with depression or at least kind of the like low level depression, I was pretty functional. But once the anxiety hit, it was just like, and it was so interesting because like when I'd lived in, we'd moved about this time too. And I always wonder if the move was part of it or if it was just kind of a timing thing coincide with the move. And where I lived before I was super like, I was a group fitness instructor and I was teaching like a bunch of classes every day and like had this great community and awesome friends. And so I moved to my new town and I'm like, I'm gonna do exactly what I did. And I went and applied like at all these gyms, got hired on, started teaching. And within months I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and I like quit all the things I was doing. Like I was, I, I was like, I'll be teaching bar classes till the day I die. And I'm like, I'll never teach bar again. <laughs> Like it was just over. And mm. I think and I don't know if that was the depression or the anxiety. And my husband would say that in some ways he feels like me stopping that kind of stuff that had made me so happy before might have contributed to the depression. It's kinda of like, what was it? You know, chicken egg kind of a scenario. But I was just in fact, I went from being like a gym rat to working out only in my basement. <laughs> like Wow. Do you ever see people? Nope, I just work out in my basement. That's, that's where I go. I still to this day, I'm always like, I should join a gym. I like the basement. <laughs> I call it my torture basement. Um, so yeah, and then it just kind of, it felt kind of manageable. And the thing that I would always say with my depression, at least, you know, at this time was, it's okay. Uh, you know, I felt lonely. I felt isolated. And it's weird because you feel lonely and isolated. So you isolate more. It's, it's this weird thing where it's yeah. like, you know, it's not... The healthy thing to do, but it's also, and you even start to like, it feels like the world excuses it too. It's like, well, you're an introvert or I don't know. So I kind of was able to just be like, this is just me. I just do everything alone. I isolate. And it's true. We yeah. do
1: give people these labels, especially that are introvert. Like if you were an extrovert and mm-hmm. people would be really concerned, why is Wendy, not, why, you know, but yeah. Oh, she's, yeah, she just needs her alone time. And like, I think a lot of people hide behind that kind of got like to really hide their depression. It's like, I'm just introverted, you know?
0: And the truth of the matter is that's not an introvert doesn't mean that they're alone and isolated. It just, it just means how they, you know, rebalance their energies. Exactly. And I'm, I'm an outgoing introvert. Like that's why I loved to teach. And that's why I loved, you know, it was actually one of the things in the next level that Heather had said to me, she's like, you're missing an energy exchange. And I'm like, that's exactly what I'm missing. I have things. Like I want to, I want to give and give back, like get back. Like i I'm missing an energy exchange. And that's actually was one, another reason why I started the podcast. Cause she's just like, there's just, you, there's, you have something you want to say, you have people you want to talk to and you are missing an energy exchange. And that's exactly like, I was just using isolation and my introversion as an excuse, but instead I was just missing a whole energy exchange, which I think then, you know, n- another level onto the depression and the anxiety, like you know, more pushing the beach ball under the water. And so, but I kept saying, you know, I'm not happy, but my kids are doing great. That was always my thing. My kids are doing great. My kids are doing great. And I, this is again, my perception. And this is also what I recognized um, as something I learned in treatment. Didn't even make a bit of sense until I went into treatment was I did have, and (laughs) it's so funny, like childhood trauma seems so trite, but I did have based on my undiagnosed ADHD as a kid, and with girls, it's a, just a different ball game. this perfectionism character, like traits. I was trying to put out this perfect image of myself so that nobody knew that there was something wrong with me, mm. you know? And I, again, it was the, not a conscious thing. It was just like, okay, all the other girls look perfect. All the other girls have clean rooms. All the other girls get their homework turned in on time. So I just really had to like put on And, and if that stuff was wrong, that was fine. But at least I was wearing cute clothes. (laughs) At least Mm -hmm. my hair was done. And I didn't realize that you put your, your perfection extends beyond your, yourself. So I had this perfect family. And then all of a sudden my family didn't appear perfect to me. And that just kind of like, that was like the, the Jenga block that got pulled that everything just fell down is all of a sudden I felt like I didn't live up to that perfection. Family, whatever, and again, this is all pure speculation because also depression and in you know mental health is chemicals in your brain, you know. So there's circumstances and things that happen to you, but some people can go through that and they're great because their brain chemistry is awesome or they've built up this amazing ability of resilience. And I kind of believe that I didn't build up resistance because I'd had a pretty easy life. Mm. <laughs> I think, you know, it's that whole, I don't know, i lived a pretty easy life and I, I think I'd made it that way so that I could keep the perfectionism. I didn't, I didn't take a lot of chances. I didn't take a lot of, I really, you know, my husband is a super intelligent, hard, smart, good, you know, hardworking man. So he took care of everything. <laughs> And so I was able to just live the kind of cushy play life. play it very safe. Play it very safe and rely on him for, you know, he like he's got it. When things were hard, I'd be like, can you deal with this? And he dealt, you know, he did everything. And so, you know, when resistance, when I came up against some resistance, I did not have the tools at all in my tool belt to manage it. You know, and again, brain chemistry, a lot of different things that relate to that for sure. I know that that's part of it, but. I would say, you know, and (laughs) the risk of, you know, again, just being such a cliche, but 2020, man, that just, that was like the beginning of the end. And what's interesting is 2020 went okay. It was the aftermath. It was Mm -hmm. when the kids went back to where we live in Montana. They didn't go back to school full time. The kids did two days a week. (laughs) They went, they went two days a week and they did two class periods a day for three hours each. And all my children have ADHD because lucky genetics, I gave it to them. Can you, I mean, I think a neurotypical sitting in three hours of class is like fingernails on a chalkboard. Yeah. You make my boys who like just, no, it was awful. Oh,
1: that was me. I mean, I hated it.
0: Yeah, it so was I got
1: certified as a personal trainer when I was still in high school <laughs> because my mom was like, "Where do you want to go to college?" and I looked at her like, "Why would I, no?
0: Why would college, I college? Why school? would I go
1: like on purpose?" and she's like, "You got to do something." and I was like, "Well, I'll get certified." She was like, "Whatever."
0: I know. I think oh. I went to
1: like a semester to community college and I just couldn't like. Yes, like it's.
0: Yeah, it's it's it was a real. I mean, like my one son is a phenomenally talented musician, and you give him a stringed instrument and for three hours an orchestra, he's going to take that thing and start turning it into a guitar and noodle around. So he was like failing orchestra when he's like the most talented kid in there because what he's not going <laughs> to, and I like totally get it. I'm like, Oh yeah. If you gave me a, an instrument for three hours and we're like, be like, do exactly what I say. I'd be like, I can't do that. So that was hard on them. And I think that led to a lot of anxiety for them and they, you know, they started to really struggle. Really all my kids were really struggling during that time. And so like kind of that 2021 into 2022, it just felt like I was trying to keep everything together with my family and my kids and, you know, chewing gum and scotch tape and holding everything together. And then it was just like, I'm done. I can't, I'm out. And then it became very clear about the end of, well, yeah, the end of twenty twenty one I was in really just such a bad place I mean that was i was i i always i not always say i say and it's it is the truth. I am still here because I didn't want my kids to associate Thanksgiving and Christmas with their mom's death
2: mm,
0: wow. and, and so i I was like after Thanksgiving and Christmas, if I still feel this way then i'm I'm done everyone everyone's better off without me. I was wow. very convinced of it that everyone would be better off without me i was so sure that, you know, my husband's going to find a better wife who will be a better. I mean, this sounds ludicrous coming out of my mouth now, but it was just, it was truth. It was facts. Depression
1: gets <laughs> so dark and just tells mm-hmm. you damn I mean, that's.
0: Yeah, it was, it was facts. It was just truth. And it's honestly like one of the most, uh, I guess, goosebump inducing stories to me because I had a plan. I'd had a date set aside and I knew what was going to happen because my husband was, was taking my boys and they were going to be gone on a backcountry ski trip. And so I was like, okay, when he leaves, I know this is when I'm going to leave. Wow. And I'm trying to use like euphemistic words so as to not trigger. Um, And my husband is, he doesn't give up on anything. He's the guy that like, you know, the ski breaks and he's like, give me the duct tape. We're going to keep skiing. Like, he never gives up on a trip. He doesn't give up on fun. And it was like, as he was driving up there something, he had to turn around and go back and get something. And then there was a, there was an avalanche across the road and like four or five different things that basically led to him calling me at like 10 o'clock. And he's like, yeah, we're giving up. We're coming home. And I, I literally, I remember thinking, I see what you did there. Like, an avalanche across the road <laughs> that 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 kind of let me know all right i'm wow and i didn't i my i didn't tell my husband this until after i got home from treatment and he was like no no let me t-. and he kind of filled in more of the details on that day and he was like and you know me i do not give up <laughs> like he's like i will go get the snow shovel and dig out the avalanche but yeah he just That fell. was
1: uh, tell me there's not a god there huh i know
0: oh one hundred percent. When he
1: told when he told you to turn around, was there like a feeling of disappointment?
0: A, l- a little bit. There was a little bit of like, oh, I guess I'll have to like try another time. There okay, was So that. what
1: you were just kicking the can down the road a little bit? There
0: was, but then I also had this like okay, that's that's somebody telling, you know, so that one part of you that was that's like God clearly Wendy, hey, nope. Yeah. And but
1: there was still that other part of you that was like Okay, I guess not right yeah. now.
0: And for a while, for a long time, I would just do the like, okay, well then I'd give it like a date. I'd be like if I still feel this bad by this date, then.
1: Did he know you were struggling that bad?
0: He had no idea.
1: No idea you were in depressed. He, he
0: knew I was depressed, but he didn't know it was that bad. Like I and I think well, you that's know, the
1: scary part. is truly suicidal people actually don't tell you. No. Like that's what, you know, the ones that are like, I'm going to kill myself. They actually don't mean it, right? No. They just want help.
0: They're asking for help. I know. But The you...
1: ones that always kill themselves, are, I guess I should not, I'm not using euphemistic words, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> the ones that take their lives. Um, that's what's always so sad is people are usually a lot of times kind of like, holy crap. You hear things like we have like, no bl- idea. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's what's scary. That is what's scary. And that's why like, you know, driving down I-15 here the billboards that are like, you know, can I hold your pills? Can I, and I'm just thinking, oh, that's adorable. Like people that really want to, and they'll find a way. Like, I remember my therapist talking, I was talking to her and she could tell I was in a really bad place. And she was like, do you have any guns in the home? And I was like, guns aren't, like, come on. Like I'll, you know, we've got a 22 rifle. I'm not gonna use that thing. You know, I just remember thinking, oh, you silly woman that you think that guns are the only problem, you know? There's so many more ways. But yeah, that you don't, you do not tell people. And that's the thing that, and you know, that's kind of a thing that I've been, you know, obviously I'm a woman, but June is also men's mental health. And that's really like, I really think about that because women do cry for help. It's, ex- it's more acceptable for women to say, I'm depressed, I need help. I, but men, they just don't say anything, they just do it. And so, and women will have like attempts And they're a little bit, you know, and they're a cry for help or they'll say that they want to kill themselves a cry for help, men just do it. That's
1: why suicide rates are so much higher in men. Mm
0: -hmm. And it just, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. Like I was in treatment for those eight weeks and there were about 12 people there on average. Like we'd kind of rotate in and out. Two men, that's it, two men. And I was like, and you know, we talk about it and they're like, you know, obviously we're not the only ones you know, and they were in there for alcoholism. They're like, you know, we, we know the other alcoholics we're friends with, you know, they just don't either get the help or ask for the help or they're just, you know, and it really is, it's just sad and hard to watch. And I've got two boys and I just am like, no, I want, I want them to feel comfortable talking about it. I want them to feel like they can Mm -hmm. ask for help and, and be open about it. And so it's another, it's another reason why I've just, you know, started being very open. I feel like the more people talk about it, the more it, it will be acceptable. Cause again, like I said, it's like this, we, nobody talks about it, but why? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we talking about it? And, and it is funny because I do notice that when I say things, cause now that like, you know, stories out there, I'll say it to people and you can tell they go from this, like, how do I respond now to this person that just told me that they spent eight weeks in treatment? (laughs) Like, what do I say? And usually I get things like, good for you and that's cool and how was it or whatever. But you can tell there's this like, oh, this isn't a conversation I'm usually in. Yeah, right. (laughs) It's not, it doesn't seem that typical. And I know this also sounds weird to say and so almost embarrassing, but I also don't think that, you know, like I just met somebody a couple of weeks ago. I don't think I come across as the person that's like, oh, well, she's definitely needed some help in her life. You know, like yeah. you put on the, the picture, the image, everything's great. And, and that's also another problem I think that a lot of our society faces is that your life is good. So why do you feel this way? And it just piles the guilt and the shame on. I mean, you know, great husband, good family well provided for everything's great and yet i feel this way and i d- i shouldn't get to feel this way you know like i went through that day one of treatment and i did an episode on this where i walk in there and i start meeting people and they start you know like it's such a weird thing that they're like why are you here
2: oh yeah all the time <laughs> i know i i know
0: you know i know it's so funny like What you're in for. And it's true. And you really like, they also have you share it. Like, you know, where are you from? Tell us a little about you and what brings you here. Like, you really, it really shocked me how they're like, you're going to be vulnerable and lay it all out. And day one, you're going to figure it. It's not like they ease you into it. No. And then they all, then we go around and they all share why they're there. And I just remember going, oh no, they're going to hate me. What am I doing here? Like, they all had just these big traumas and these hard lives. And, you know, like, of course they're drinking. I would have been, you know, like, of course this, how does anybody even survive that? And, and I'm like, yeah, I just, am depressed. And I just, I mean, I, I, it was this thing where I, I was so, I felt so embarrassed that I was in such a bad place that I needed to be there. And for no reason. And I hate saying for no reason, because obviously there was a reason. And I mean, I wanted to go home, but I didn't want to go home. And I remember I had this idea. I'm like, is there a house in the desert somewhere I can go to and just live there and heal? Um,
1: Yeah. Just tell your family you're still in treatment. You know what though? I can, I can obviously like, I I definitely had the strong qualifications as did you, but like that I was in a treatment center, but I remember early on um, and finally when I got sober, I was like, it just doesn't matter. But you know, I would hear these stories of people and I'm like, oh yeah, I was the youngest of five of a good Mormon family. My parents didn't drink. I was never beaten. I wasn't neglected. I had no sexual molestation. Like people's stories about why they started using drugs at 13. And I was like, oh, I was just really anxiety uh, ridden and fat. Like I was just overweight and I was anxious. Mm -hmm. Like I would hear these stories and I would feel like kind of embarrassed. I come from a good family. We, I mean, we weren't... rich, but we were upper middle class. I had every, and my parents were great. Like I became a drug addict despite having, <laughs> and of course, like, you know, parents could always do better on this or that. My dad, mm-hmm. you know, was, um, you know, had a, had a, he was a, a, like a, in the bishopric of the Mormon church. And he also had a really demanding job. So it wasn't home much, but he was great to me. Like I was not, I did not, it was just my battle. And I think this was just your battle to face that now yeah. you get to like, but I remember feeling almost like guilty. Like people are like, yeah. oh, you know, my dad went to prison for life. And I'm like, oh, my dad just worked too much.
0: <laughs> I know that's exact that really like, was what well, Did your
1: dad did your parents like, you know, beat you? I was like, nope, never even laid a hand on me. Um, I was grounded once. Like yeah. if anything, they probably gave me a little too much free reign.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and then the therapists are like, you know, trying to like, well, let's talk about your parents. And you're like, you're not gonna get anywhere with that. <laughs> like again no parents are perfect. As a parent, I have to believe that because, and I also um, love the idea that, you know, it's probably better we screw up our kids than somebody else because we're all going to go through some stuff, (laughs) but at least, you know, I'm doing it. If I mess up my kids, I really did try. (laughs) So, but yeah, it, it was really hard to feel like I didn't, I didn't belong, which is just a weird, and especially somebody who, you know, my drug of choice was isolation. To then go somewhere where you don't feel like you belong, and so then I wanted to isolate, and I, I I thought I'll just stay here and I'll read the books and I'll go to group, but I won't I won't I'll stay away. I'll, I I won't contribute. I won't talk. I'll kind of stay back. And um, yeah, they don't let you do that. No, <laughs> they, they don't. They don't let you do that. I really tried, um, but I even then kind of tried to just stay as little as possible and keep it you know brief and you know, in the end, like my fear of these people not liking me because I came from this super great life, but I still had issues being brief and keeping it quiet and not just like opening up, laying out like what was going on, how I was feeling, you know, basically being inauthentic. That's what made them not like me. It was when I finally just like broke down and was like, yep, this is everything. Here it is. That they were like, okay, now we see you. Mm. Now we understand." And. You know, I still sometimes think about the people that I was there with and I absolutely just love them all so much. I think about the people that I was there with and I'm still like, there's no way they could have been like, oh, no, we totally get it. <laughs> but but that that was kind of the other thing. I think it was day one. I remember I was like in my room and I was meeting people and I kind of went, I know I am not the only one that's, you know, had my story. And, you know, no one has your same story. But I know I'm not the only one only one that's lived had great parents, a good life and feels this way. Yeah. They just either don't think of this as an option or again, don't think they get to be depressed. I don't get to feel like this. I don't get to be anxious or, you know, they just bury it in either they work too which much for, or not years, enough. Right? Oh, for years. I just kept finding new ways to, yeah, either not feel it or just like, you know, kick the can down the road. Like, which doesn't, well, from in my case, it definitely didn't work. And I don't think it works. No. It doesn't work. And so, yeah, I think that was finally, there was just, I just had bad day after bad day after bad day. And my husband finally one day was like, what do we need to do? And at this point, I'm trying to think of all the different, like we tried a few different things. And I was like, I, and I just said it, I blurted it out. I'm like, I think I need to go to residential treatment. And I expect him to be like, oh no, you don't need that. We'll figure something out. And he's like, okay. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you agree with me okay (laughs) then this really does need to happen um and yeah made a few phone calls found a place that felt right felt good about it um and it was last summer in fact i went in june 22nd of 22 so it's been a year and it's weird like i'm like huh this time last summer i was not here and I remember telling the kids that we were that what was happening because we'd had all these plans for the summer and it was like, you know, mom's not going to be here. And that was the hardest thing. Lots of, especially my younger kids, my two youngest, lots of tears. My boys who are at the time they would have been 18 and 16, they were like, really cool. And they're actually really proud. And I was like, you know, I'm not too secretive. If you guys want to tell your friends and they're like, Oh, my friends are proud of you. They think it's so cool, which makes me think this next generation, they're going to, they're going to change it.
1: There's a, there's a lot of cons about the current generation coming up. Compared to ours, like we actually had to go outside and play and stuff. Mm -hmm. But there are so many pluses. The fact, like when I was thirteen, going to my parents and telling them I was anxious, I didn't even know that word. Yeah, I didn't know what anxiety was. I just knew I hated being in my body, so I just like didn't know what to do, and so I just Mm -hmm. started acting out. It is so nice that like they just get it. Like that is so much more of a conversation that we're having with kids now, and kids are like identifying like emotions and yeah. anxiety and going to treatment and like, especially with drug abuse running rampant. Like I just think there's a lot more awareness that's just beautiful.
0: It really is. Like, yeah, like I, you know, the kids will be like, well, I can't on Tuesday. That's when I have therapy. And yeah. like when I started therapy the first time, my very first bout of depression was actually like right after I got married. And it was kind of like, there'd been this really, really stressful couple years in college. Again, same thing. Just kick the can, kick the can. And then I got married and it was like, life got good. And all of a sudden, like all the emotions I'd suppressed, like came bubbling up. So I started going to therapy then. And I remember like running into a friend outside the therapist's office and she's like, what are you doing here? And I was like, um, let's see. There's a- My (laughs) my nails? Is there (laughs) a nail salon here? I came up with some crazy excuse. And I'm like, wow, like I really didn't think anybody should know that I was going to therapy. You know, medication, like, you know, I've, nobody should know you're on medication. Like, what are your pills? Uh, just vitamins, just taking some vitamins. So, so many of these things have just been like not talked about where now it's just very openly discussed and talked about and understood. And I think that's going to be really helpful for the next generation. But I guess it's like, but our, gen- well, I'm older than you. <laughs> we're We're still here and we still have a mental health battle to fight. And so I just think, You know, we need to be it just needs to be a discussion. We need to talk about it.
1: So I didn't realize it's only been a year. Yeah. So I mean obviously, yeah. Well, I shouldn't make assumptions. You seem like you're I I didn't know you then, but Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously it was a good investment to go, right? To treatment.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think I came out of there, the way that I'd put it is I had been given some new tools and some, you know, some tools and ways of coping and understanding, a lot more understanding of what was going on, like why um, I was feeling certain things, like um, the analogy one of the therapists gave, and I give this in one of my podcasts, is that you know the behaviors are like the leaves of the tree. So like somebody that has a substance abuse issue or whatever, you're gonna see the, the leaves, but that's not what we treat. We treat the root, you know, yeah. it, it and, and the, you know, the trunk of the tree is going to be your life experiences, but that those roots are what you down to your core, believe about yourself and getting to like, what beliefs you just like, what comes like, you know, to, like quick response, you know, what do you believe about yourself? And mine were, I'm broken. I'm a failure. I think I'm a failure is like the, the, tagline (laughs) Mm. like I felt like everything always came back to I'm a failure or I'm broken um not good enough all kind of that kind of stuff and so even just understanding that that every single thing in my life went through that filter before it became even a thought like something would happen and I'd be like oh yeah I can do that and then it would go through the filter of I'm a failure and then I just kind of like pre let myself off the hook or let myself down or whatever just stop myself before I got started because I'm a failure. What makes me think I can do anything? What makes me, you know, and, and again, you know, we can, that's where you go into childhood experiences and where did that come from? But we just create our own image of what, I mean, it's really, what was my image of success? <laughs> you know, for some people, it's like getting through each day, that success. I had like some lofty, I don't know what I thought I was supposed to be, but I was a failure. And so and then, you know, I thought, well, at least I'll be a successful mom. And then I felt like I failed as a mom. And then I'm like, did I? Of course not. Like, not. they're not done. And why do I, it's more like I felt like I was just always letting them down and I wasn't there for them and I wasn't doing it right. And you compare yourself to other moms who have all the things. And, you know, with my, again, ADHD, it was like, oh, you remember to sign all the forms? All right. the best thing they give you is you get like this reading list at the beginning of the month and you're supposed to fill it out every night. We've turned that in for children. When did I start having kids in school? 2009. Never turned in a reading list once, not (laughs) once. And I just remember going to parent teacher conference. Like we don't get those reading lists. And I was like, and you're never gonna, you're like, (laughs) I don't even know they exist. I'm like, my kids read. They love to read. I'm never writing it down. So, you know, but those kinds of things, like you look at those moms that have, you know, the envelope and everything's perfect and they, you know, and, and so I tried to like, look like I was doing it right when I knew that I wasn't. And so it was like this, you know, hot mess and failure underneath, but I'm trying to look like I'm not, which I think is a lot of it, you know, and I, and I know I'm not the only one. And so, yeah, I just think that that's kind of what I learned there in therapy is that or in treatment, a lot of those core beliefs and where I was kind of taking everything from. And then I got out, sounds like I was like set free. Um, And then I came home and it was like the the analogy that I use because I already had announced my nerdiness. I felt like, you know, I had been given a wand and a Patronus, but I didn't know how to use it yet. It's Harry Harry Potter for those of you that don't know. (laughs) And so I wasn't quite there. Like I didn't know how to use it yet, but I had it where I didn't have any of those tools before. And so I still wasn't doing great. I was doing better and I felt like I was managing like my expectations of what failure was and things like that before that um managing things with my kids better but I just wasn't I was still just not in a great place and so we tried ketamine infusions mm. I did 6 of those like the you know the series of ketamine infusions and I was like okay this is the, this is it now I'm going to be all better and again it wasn't all better and I just you know kind of it turned into the same thing I was like I have literally done everything now. I have you know d- gone to treatment, fixed my medications, you know, done the ketamine and I still don't feel well. Again that core belief I am broken. Then mm. that's there's the proof. I am officially broken. And it's just again, you know, crazy how life works, how God finds you where you are. I don't even know how. Where it was. I mean, I've followed you on Instagram forever. So I don't even know how all of a sudden like some pops up about next level. And I'm like, yep. Like it was that fast. It was like a lightning response, put in the thing, had a call with chance. And I was like, okay, this is the last stitch ever. <laughs> like everything was the last thing. I'll try this. Okay, that didn't work now, I'll try this. And it's not even like that didn't work. It's like everything I did moved the needle, but right. I wanted-
1: You wanted to be at the finish line.
0: I wanted to be at the finish line. And so I was like, okay, I'll do this. This'll be it. And that's the thing that I learned at next level is that whole thing, you know, everything is like every day better. We're going to do, you know, establish good habits and establish good. And so it's like, no, I'm never, I'm not going to be at the finish line, but I'm going to get better. And it felt like from like call one to call two, I felt like I was a different person. Like, I just, I even remember like the comments were like, you look different. I'm like, yeah, everything feels different. Cause I suddenly went from something, I need that magic potion. I need that, like, you know, just fix it. I, that magic fix to, it's going to be progression and progression is good. And as long as you keep moving forward and even sometimes you move a little bit back, but you don't move back as far as before, then you're on the right track. And so it really, it really is like what finally, I think that was it. Like everything I don't, I don't think I did anything I shouldn't have done. I think every single step I took on my journey is the exact step I needed to take. And I learned something from every single one. Like, had I not like, you know, kind of going back to the beginning, like I started doing life coaching with Jody Moore that made a big difference in me going, Oh yeah, actually I am responsible for my thoughts. (laughs) Like, Oh, I wanted to blame everything else in my life. And then the next, you know, the next step of like going to therapy and learning some things and you know, so everything made a difference, but what's wanted it- to
1: say? I felt like you I mean, I watched you just really blossom in the next level and it was uh it was like you were looking different call to call and and perking up more and just your countenance changing. But I think that everything led you to that point and then like you, you I think you were just ready. There's people who've gone through this that did it for maybe this reason or that or, and, and a friend of yours, you, you, uh, you suggested do it, which thank you. It was actually for her husband, but she, she's the one who ended up doing it. Um, I think in a weird way, even though it was like going to be for her husband, she was ready to just watching you change. But so everything you did do led you to this point. It's like, yeah, it just, you were wanting it to just to be like the thing. And then you were like, "Ah, I'm still broken, but it all helped.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that's it. It's that, you know, those core beliefs, you know, stuck in the, I'm broken, I'm a failure. And so thinking that it's like, everything's going to just like instantly fix, but then recognizing that first of all, no one is actually perfect. I was pretty convinced that no, there's perfect people. (laughs) There's perfect people, but no one is actually fixed. And then just even watching other people's stories, so many people in there just watching them grow and change and hearing them share. I mean, there's so much power in the group. I mean, group therapy in, in treatment was amazing. So much power. And I loved how like somebody would share something and the therapist wasn't like, I got this. He was like, what do you think? Yeah. And let us all contribute. And it was really, it's just so powerful. So there's so much power. Some of the
1: most powerful calls we had in the next level is when, you guys were like kind of coaching each other because you Mm -hmm. get all these different inputs and you've walked through this and been through, you know, hell and back the last few years. So then you can share insight with somebody about something they're going through. And, and I think that's what does make, you know, smaller, more intimate settings so powerful. So,
0: yeah. And I, it really, cause even like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of one-on-one therapy and coaching and all that. But at the end of the day, it is kind of that group where you like, I just always think of that, like we rise together. Like if one person rises alone, it's, you know, they just, we're like, if everyone's going together, that's like a better, a better float. (laughs) It's hard to be alone. So yeah, I just really, I I think it was everything just kind of, everything is incremental, you know, getting better instead of just expecting like, this is it, this is the magic fix, this will do it. And I think going into any kind of treatment for mental health, expecting that is might set you up for failure, but there are, you know, I do think there are a few magic bullets. Like I talk about this quite a bit and I don't believe medication is for everyone. Um, I've actually had all my kids assessed um, by a neuropsychologist and at least one of my kids, he was like, yeah, medication won't work for her because the way her serotonin levels are, he compared it to like blood pressure medicine. So if you have somebody with like variable blood pressure and you put them on high blood pressure medicine, but every once in a while, their blood pressure tanks, It's like it helps their blood pressure when they're high, but then when it's low, they're going to like not be able to get up off the floor. And I guess her serotonin levels kind of vary so much that if they were to put her on anything to like fix her serotonin, it wouldn't work well. So again, I don't believe medication is for everybody. And I know that there's lots of natural ways to do it, but I'm a, I'm really, am a firm believer in getting the right medication, which there's a genetic test to get that done. Because what it does is it allows you to then do the things. It's not like, oh, good, I'm on the medication. It's like, I remember on when you talked to Ray, and it was like people that like you know do this, do the juice, and they're like waiting for their muscles to grow. You still got to lift. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, It's that way with with um, antidepressants or anti anxieties. Like, it just gets you so that you can get out of bed, right, and do the work. It makes it so that you can you know go for the walk and. Do the meditation and engage in therapy and journal and gratitude where like when my medications weren't working or when I wasn't on medication, it was like, I knew I've read, oh, you name it, I've read it. And I'm like, I know I should do gratitude. I know I should. I know I should, but I just can't. Couldn't get that little boost to get there. Yeah. It's literally like you have like a cement block on your chest and you can't move it. Mm. Like you just can't. And so it just helps you. I'll take the cement block away, but you have to do the work. And so that that's kind of, you know, things like that. So I think there are a few like silver bullet type things, but still it's, it's incremental. Like you can't do one cold plunge and be like, I'm fixed. Yeah. You got to do it more than once. Right. <laughs> and you'll start to feel when like that kind of wears off It's like, Oh, time to get cold again. Um, right. yeah. <laughs> it's a,
1: you know, I have a lot of people who do it once and they're like, and they don't last very long cause it's cold. So they get out and they're like, I'll never do it again. I don't know why you do it. I'm like, well, if you keep doing it, it will actually start feeling really good when you get up, which I know sounds crazy, but like you kind of, you freaked out when you were in there. Like you didn't just give us, give us some more time and keep trying it. But, um, well that's, I mean, and today if you had to kind of, I mean, I'm sure there's some ups and downs, but would you say overall, like compared to a year ago, the girl that wanted the treatment is.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I I do. I feel like I'm a totally different person, which is, is really good. Cause I think about like this time last summer. And again, it was like the beginning of the summer before you have all the like family things and all this stuff with the kids. And I just remember thinking, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to leave my room. I didn't want to like, I was just like, all of that stuff was so, it felt like, like leaving, not leaving your house, not naked, but like without even your skin on, <laughs> like, like just, I can't do it. I just mm. really felt. And now, I'm like excited to do things. I'm oh, excited wow. to go places and things have joy. And the other thing that I found that I was not, I was really lacking, which I think caused a lot of problems is, is again, I talked about this a little bit, but resilience. I had no resilience. Yeah. Something bad would happen um, and I would be like, it's over. My friend used the analogy that like, I'll get like a flat tire and then I would just go around and like slash the rest of them.
2: Right, yeah, slash <laughs> all four tires, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I would just slash the rest of my tires cause I'm like, well, I guess it's over now. And now it's like I'll okay, well, I'll I'll change the tire. And if I can't change the tire, I'll find someone who can help me change the tire, which is that to me is, you know, a huge step forward. So I yeah, definitely think it's, you know, everything that I've been doing since last year to now has really been so helpful. Um but yeah, and and that's the thing. Like I I have said this before, and while I was there, I remember thinking, everyone should get to spend a month working on their mental health. Yeah, I agree. I mean, obviously it's not in everyone's schedule, but if everyone could just step away for a minute and only worry about mental health. And you know, they take away your phones. You'd only get to talk to your family like 20 minutes a night, which sounds awful, but it makes sense. Like Yeah. You know, there's only so much you can accomplish in getting, you know, dealing with family stuff in 20 minutes. And so you just it's just focusing on what's happening in your mental health that's really helpful. And then you take that and kind of go out into the world and see how it works. And, you know, I had a few moments where I was like, I want to just hide again. But, you know, you just, and even the idea that you know that you've like gone into treatment and put everything you could into your mental health kind of makes you keep moving forward. Like, no, I got to keep going. (laughs) Like I did this. It's, you know, it's got to move me forward. I have the tools. I just need to use them. I keep having to remind myself that I have the tools. Just need to remember to use them.
1: Right. Well, and it's been cool to watch you use those over the last six months as I've known you and, um, your, uh, your story is pretty remarkable because thank goodness for that avalanche, huh? I know. Um, it's crazy just to think like that, that, that was a very, very viable option for you. In fact, it was like a plan. Yeah. And then to, to watch you today, despite ups and downs and, uh, you really have just i just i watched you grow and i know you've grown so much since even you went to treatment and you humbled yourself to do that and then you took a chance on you again in january and bet on yourself and and invested into the next level and invested into the therapy and like do all these things and so you've put in not only the time the effort the money to try (laughs) to become the best you and so you deserve it and your podcast um Tell listeners a little bit about that. Like, what are you going to in there? I know the people in the next level, maybe they're biased because they're friends now, but they love it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, yeah. I, it's, it's I, interesting. Cause I remember the title came to me. Um, I don't know when, but it was messages from the middle and I was like, dang, I like that title. Well now I'm committed cause I got a good title. <laughs> and so, but it is that idea that I feel like, like even I, infertility is another one. Like I remember thinking, reading infertility books and blogs and stuff. And people are like telling their story after like they've got their kids and their happy family. No, no. I want to know what you were dealing with when you were where I am. (laughs) I want to know how you dealt with it. And so that's what I thought, you know, I kept waiting until I was healed the finish line over. And then I can go back and be like, all right, I've got this all figured out. Now I'll tell you what to do. And I was like, no, that's I'm in the middle of it, you know, and I'm, I'm doing so much better, but, I'm in the middle of it and things keep coming back and there's things I still have to fight and deal with. And so I just came up, you know, decided that I'll just start sharing my story now in the middle of it. And, um, yeah, it also, you know, again, cause I love all my nerd movies that all kind of use the Christopher Campbell's hero's journey idea. That's kind of what I thought of, like, you know, that you get this call to, to adventure that you don't really want to go. I always think of like Bill, Bill, Baggins, like I don't want to go <laughs> and then, but then you're there and you go through all these hard things, but yet you're given tools and things to help you along the way. And you learn so much through that process. And that's kind of the other thing that came to me. So I, I pull from that a lot. Every once in a while I'll pull out, you know, one of my nerd references. My husband's always like people that get her are going to get it. And then there's going to be people that are like, what is she,
2: doing? What is she talking
0: about? <laughs> what does that mean? Um, But yeah, so that's, and then I, so I, I kind of start with that idea and then I cover like I, my very last, the last episode I dropped last week was I just talk about going into treatment and what it was like there and what my experiences was going into treatment since it's kind of the, it's, it is the year anniversary. Um, I talk about medication, kind of like what I just talked about. I talk about um, shame and how shame is what holds us back from healing because you you know, we'll st- people, you know, even if you go get help, if you're not willing to acknowledge that shame is you being, you know, again, like the, I am broken, not, you know, I, not like I, not, I am not broken. There are things that I've done wrong, but that doesn't define me
2: mm.
0: and getting to that point And well still working on it. See in the middle, (laughs) that's the point. Like, and, and it is true. Like, I want to be like, like I said, starting the podcast, what have I got to say? What have I, and now I'm able to be like, no, I do. I have something to say and I can, I can say it. And if people listen, then that's great. (laughs) Instead of being like, I don't know, you know, expecting it to be like, either the best thing ever or it's a failure which yeah, is just
1: the best or the worst or
0: yeah I, I was very much all or nothing thinking I had yeah. very much like and you go to the cognitive distortions I had all of them <laughs> <laughs> like all or nothing mind reading in fact there is an episode where I talk about cognitive distortions and I'm like I remember reading the list the first time and I was like oh has this person met me
1: yeah. <laughs> like, well, they wrote a whole book about do, me, do, apparently. Do, huh? I,
0: they, they must have met me. That's amazing. And yeah. I had all the cognitive distortions. So yeah. And it is, you know, I, every once in a while there'll be like little sciencey things that I may mention or talk about, but I figure, you know, you got all the sciencey people for that. You've got Huberman who's going to give you all the science stuff. I'm just like, this is what I've learned. This is how, it, this is what's helped me or these are things that I'm trying or even just, this is my story. And if you relate to it, then- I'd love to talk about it and it's, yeah. So the people that have listened to it have been really just so lovely and so nice. And the thing that's been so just amazing is people that have reached out that I haven't talked to for a long time or that I haven't known for a long time or one that like, cause my, I, yeah, my husband thinks that this should be like a once a month thing and I should do a lot of research and I'm just dropping them every week. And there was a girl, I actually took her senior pictures. And she had, she posted actually on her stories and she's like, you know, cause I'd worked with her as a coach and after I took her senior pictures and then she listened to my podcast and she was like, this saved my life. And so I screenshot it, send it to my husband. I'm like, this is why. Wow. Like if one person that's it, if it's her, just her that is like this helped me, then that's all I need to do, you know? And I'm sure. You know, anybody who does something like this understands it. Like, yes, would it be great to like change the world? Sure. But one person, right? that's, that's pretty powerful.
1: Well, I, I commend you. You're making your mess, your message, your, your trials, your <laughs> triumphs. Exactly what I'm doing. And uh, that's what I've done. And I just respect people who do that because it's one thing to go through some stuff and make it out the other side. It's a whole nother thing to get vulnerable and share it with other people in the aim of helping them. Mm-hmm. And, that's why I'll continue to share my story. It's not even my favorite thing to do after 10 and a half years anymore. Until I'm doing it, then I'm like, oh yeah, like one person needs to hear this and think they, they can overcome this too and that they're not broken. Then I did my job today. Maybe I didn't get to talk about fitness nutrition on a podcast, but I'm like, you know what? That's actually gonna be more meaningful for people. So I just, yeah. where can people find the podcast? Is it on every platform?
0: It is, it's on every platform. Um, yeah, messages from the middle. Um, and then I did something, I don't know, that's recommended. I just kept my Instagram. I didn't come up with the messages from the middle. You're, you're fine. <laughs> and it's And it's so funny too. Cause it's like when I came up when I was 19, I didn't have Instagram when I was 19, but I'm pretty married to it. And so my Instagram is at child songbird. Um, there's a story. It's fine. But I, so I, I post stuff about the podcast there and you know, in the link, there's all the links to my, um, to, to all the streaming platforms. But yeah, it's, it's on right. there.
1: We'll list both those in the, uh, in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on. You're an inspiration. I've been so proud of you when you went through the next level and to watch you continue to blossom. And I'm excited to see you hopefully in the retreat, uh, well, the annual retreat you. in the fall. And it's been an honor and I just love you. And I'm just really proud of you. And just, I just love watching people who overcome really hard stuff and then stand another day to tell, tell the story. So.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm very happy to still be here.
1: Me too. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. You're never broken. It's not too late. None of that. And uh, you can overcome hard stuff, even if you haven't been through hard stuff before. It's <laughs> a prime example of that. So thank you guys for tuning in. We'll chat the you next week. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining me in the middle of my story. My theme music is White Linen by Asher Child. He's my kid. You can find all of his amazing music on all streaming platforms. And you know, it just wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't ask you to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. But seriously, it would really mean so much to me if you did. Thank you so much and see you next time.
2: When I'm walking.